Block It Up is sponsored in part by HODL Services. If you're looking for a disc jockey, karaoke host, to videographer, our company can help. With over 17 years of experience, we would be happy to assist with your special event. You can contact us at 226-988-2895 or visit us at our website at hodlservices.vpweb.ca. That's H-O-D-D-L-E, Services. We look forward to hearing from you, and helping with your special event. Welcome to you on this Wednesday, February 17th. Officially, pitchers and catchers have reported for spring training. That gets us excited here on Lock It Up Sports Talk. My name is Logan Lockhart. Joining me, a guest that's been here before, a great guest, I may add, not just any guest, Tyler Milliken coming to us from the great state of Massachusetts. Tyler, how are you today? I'm doing good. Happy to have spring training here. It doesn't feel like it. We still got snow on the ground and more snow coming, but just getting to see videos of guys tossing baseballs around and, you know, being at spring training, you know, facilities and stuff like that. It's enough right now. So, you know, uh, on this show, obviously the last few weeks, it's been Super Bowl this, Super Bowl that, NFL playoffs, championship games. Now I'm excited. And that was great. The football talk was great, but now it's time for the baseball. And we're going to talk about the Andrew Benintendi trade, which, of course, will lead off with the Red Sox did make some moves today. And I was going to talk about this with the Benintendi trade. I was going to say, you know what? The motive for the Red Sox right now is to build the farm system because it was depleted. And it seems as this morning we saw more of the same. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, just where the Red Sox were at, it seemed like there were some more moves Bloom had in the wings just from the point of looking at. The 40-man, you know, they didn't have much wiggle room there in the past couple of weeks. You know, Martin Perez even had to wait a couple of weeks for his signing to get announced. Um, and they were just kind of, it looked like they were maneuvering it and trying to figure out what direction they really wanted to go. Uh, so obviously this morning, you see Bloom link up with his former organization, the Rays, uh, sending uh, Chris Mazza and Jeffrey Springs, two guys who all last season, you know, <laughs> kind of were part of the memes people made about the Red Sox. Who are these guys, you know, both of them working out of the bullpen and starting spending time at the alternate training site. And now the Red Sox, you know, grabbed two prospects, you know, a catching prospect in Hernandez that a lot of people, you know, were a bit down on uh, after 2019, but it had a huge season in 2018 down in a uh, single A, uh, was actually on Baseball America's minor league team of the year and was arguably their best player during that time. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, adding another infielder, extremely good OBP numbers within himself. Uh, so it's hard not to be excited right now. You know, uh, I can't help, but as a high bloom supporter, be smiling a bit. You're a big supporter of him. You really are. Before we get into what you think of him, and then compared to the rest of the city in Boston, we'll get to that in just a minute. But with the Benintendi trade, a bulk of the Red Sox return, it's players to be named later, right? So it's tough to really judge what's going on here. But what we do know is that that system it's getting back. It's getting back to what the Red Sox and their fans want because it just wasn't there. 
were you surprised though that this deal actually went through that that he actually pulled the trigger on this deal if you asked me a month ago once the initial benintendi rumors started to die down and it wasn't being talked about i definitely would have said you know it looked like they were going to head into the season with him alex cora was extremely complimentary of him in some of his recent interviews just talking about you know, how his body had changed, uh, you know, once again for the second time in two years in a row, but people want to act like it's the first time they're hearing this, but you know, his mechanics have changed. He's back to the guy he used to be. Um, but you know, it looked like, uh, Bloom was just kind of holding out over time, you know, kind of waiting for that right package to come along. And it looks like, you know, the Royals offered him what they wanted. Initially, a lot of people thought it was a three team deal between the Royals and the Mets and the Red Sox. Turns out it was a deal between the Red Sox and the Royals and then another deal between the Red Sox and the Mets. Um, but I, I'm a huge fan of the deal. I think Franchi Cordero, if you're looking at him and hoping, you know, this is the direct, you know, replacement or compensation for Andrew Benintendi, I don't think it's fair at all. You know, he's by no means the whole package here. But I think when you look at what Andrew Benintendi is and what he's become over the years, he just never lived up to the draft profile he had. This guy was, you know, the number one prospect in all of baseball heading into 2017. He was supposed to be a perennial batting, you know, champ, a guy who was going to hit above 300 every single year, thought probably 20 home runs, 20 steals. And realistically, almost none of that has come true. Uh, You know, he stole 20 bases two times, 2017 and 2018. Um, You know, career batting average is only 273. So he hasn't come close to living up to that, you know, pure hitter, you know, drive the ball over the field kind of. Uh, profile people had put on him. Uh, the speed has declined rapidly. And, you know, there's a lot of just different things. You look at Andrew Benintendi and it's hard to say, you know, are they really selling low or are they selling high when maybe while people hold on to hopes that 2018 Andrew Benintendi is still a real thing, it's more likely the 2017 and 2019 version are who he really is. So it sounds like we don't really know what the Royals are getting here. And that, and that's, you know, but they still got to be excited in Kansas city, right? Relatively excited. You'd think so. Right. Yeah. I I think when you look at what Andrew Benintendi is in an organization where the Royals are, where, you know, they're not going to tend to go out there and spend big dollars time and time again, you got a guy who most likely is going to be a 270, 280 guy with 15 ish home runs and, you know, 10 to 15 steals that has value in baseball, you know, but for where the Red Sox were at in terms of their current cycle, needing to kind of replenish the farm system for where they're at. And you're telling me, you know, they're going to get Franchi Cordero, who this may surprise a lot of people, but his career 99 OPS plus is only eight points lower than Andrew Benintendi's 107 OPS plus the the gap. There is one, don't get me wrong, but you read further into Benintendi, whether it's a below 700 OPS against lefties, there just wasn't many signs of that bounce back happening of a top tier player. If you're telling me you can get a guy in Franchi Cordero who has, you know, three years of control on him, making less money, uh, fits your roster a little bit better because he can play all three outfield spots, unlike a Benintendi, plus, you know, two prospects to be named later coming back from the Royals and one coming back from the Mets who, you know, Khalil Lee, the Royals number eight prospect was flipped in exchange. Uh, How can you not get excited? And I'm a big fan of Josh Winkowski, the pitcher who came back to the Red Sox in the deal. So you're a big fan of the deal. I know that with the Mookie Betts deal as well, you you were in favor of it. You're going, hey, listen, Alex Verdugo, this is the new outfield now. And now with Benintendi gone, that's completely official. Not that Verdugo, he already proved it with his play. But here's the thing, in Boston, I get the sense that maybe there's a divided fan base in a sense, because at the end of the day, that World Series championship, it's only three years ago, not even, right? 
And now what's happening to the roster? You look at the division, tough division. You can say the Red Sox are the fourth best team in the division. You really can. What's the opinion, public opinion, of Bloom, the, the Red Sox brass? What is it? I would say a majority, extremely negative. Uh, you know, whether you want to call the Red Sox Tampa Bay North, uh, Dodgers East, uh, you know, these are some of the different names going back and forth. But if you ask me, those are compliments. Those were the two teams in the World Series last year. Uh, you're talking Bloom's former organization with the Rays, who have been known to build one of the best farm systems in baseball and continue to compete despite, or despite extreme limitations on them in terms of, you know, finances and different stuff like that. And then the Dodgers, who, for, you know, since Andrew Friedman really arrived there, have been the best organization in the entire game. It's sad, you know, people can't draw those comparisons. It's kind of looking at the bigger picture here. Um, but I do think in the last month or two, uh, Bloom, the narrative's changing a little bit. People have gone from completely like, I don't want to hear this man talk. I don't want to, you know, see what he's doing. You know, he's just trying to get prospects. He's training homegrown stars. Well, he's done some interviews recently uh, on the Section 10 podcast, which is, you know, pretty big here through Jared Carabas, uh, the Sox Prospects podcast, um, which, you know, they're one of the best sources for minor league material uh, in terms of the Red Sox you'll find anywhere else. Um, but he's really started to break down his strategy and, you know, what he's trying to accomplish here. And as you hear about not only the flexibility he's trying to build on the major league roster, but the importance of depth in an organization where it's, you know, not every prospect is going to be a star. I, I think a lot of people get lost in that. You know, I, anybody who's fall baseball can name 20 guys off the top of their hand who they thought were going to be the next guy. And they played a year or two in the bigs and you never heard from them again, you know? Um, but just the importance of, you know, building the organization up from a talent perspective so you can make more deals like this one where Jeffrey Springs and Chris Mazza, they were DFA'd in the last two weeks. And you're getting this kind of return in Ronaldo Hernandez, who is the number 14 prospect in the race system, according to MLB pipeline, the best system in the, you know, in baseball right now. Are you kidding me? Like, those are the things you can capitalize off here. And I think people now are like, all right, I at least see the vision. I may not agree with it, but I see it. He's got a plan. And that's the most important thing. This reminds me a lot of what happened in Toronto and still to an extent happening in Toronto. Alex Anthopoulos was beloved in Toronto. The, the 2015 run of the Blue Jays, that was him. Even though he left right after that, the 2016 team was also his creation. And here comes Shapiro and Atkins, the Cleveland guys, the guys who built up the Cleveland system that went to the World Series in 2016. But the public opinion towards Shapiro and Atkins, incredibly negative. And it sounds like the same thing is happening here. I can draw comparisons and ask Red Sox fans right now what they think of the Blue Jays. They'd probably say, hey, pretty good roster up there. We'd like to have them. Wouldn't they say that? A hundred percent. And that's the thing. I think if you look where, you know, number one, the Blue Jays front office is one of the most forward thinking in the entire game right now. And unfortunately, you know, the typical baseball fan just doesn't see things like that. They see, you know, what the records are, you know, starting rotations with five plus ERAs, you know, getting hit around, but not everything happens in a single year. You look at where Toronto is right now and getting to add George Springer and really start to make that push this year. I think the Red Sox are, you know, where they are right now, you look back to an off season before where they got uh Hyden Ryu brought him in. I think that's where the Red Sox are going to be a year from now. Right. You're going to see that first splash, that first push. And then the following year now where the blue Jays are just like, let's, let's charge this thing. You know, whether it's, you know, uh, bringing Springer in or going to get Marcus Semien, 
that's where the Red Sox aspire to be. And it's building that kind of long-term success where Blue Jays have so many young foundational pieces right now. You know, these guys are going to be in Toronto for a long time. The Red Sox are hoping to create something similar with the pipeline they're trying to put together. Quickly on Dustin Pedroia, uh, retired and incredible player, rookie of the year, MVP, World Series. Um, I'm, I'm interested in this. All-time Red Sox, let's talk historically here. Um, where is he in that conversation? I'm curious from your perspective. I think when you look at second baseman, it, it comes down to, you know, it, it's really him or Bobby Dore, right? You know, that, that's a conversation a lot of people are going to have. Personally, I, I put Pedroia in that number one spot when considering how much his career got short. Uh, I was digging through some stats when he was, you know, when the retirement announcement came out. But just something, you know, to make people think. Uh, Jeff Kent, who, you know, recently he's on the Hall of Fame ballot. There's been, I feel like, a little bit of a push for him uh, more than in years past. And just, you know, a weird little thing. But, you know, Jeff Kent played much longer than Dustin Pedroia did, played 700 games more than him. Pedroia's career, uh, B-War through baseball reference, was only four uh, wins less than Jeff Kent. Uh, Pedroia had 51 wins. Jeff Kent had 55. And this is a guy in Pedroia who would still be playing today, you know, if that Manny Machado slide likely didn't happen. So I think if you're starting to look at, you know, who Dustin Pedroia is, where he fits, I think you can make the argument between him and Robinson Cano right now. Pedroia is the better second baseman of the generation. Cano has been popped twice for steroids now. Uh, and while I'm not as, you know, I'm in, I'm all for steroid guys getting into the hall of fame. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, that is something you're going to knock on a guy when, you know, that same generation kind of guy, Pedroia was on a hall of fame, you know, pace career. I think that's undeniable. And I think eventually maybe through the veterans committee, I don't, I don't think it's going to be through, you know, regular voting. I think he has a shot. And, he, and he's going to be beloved in Boston. Oh yeah. I, I think he gets his number retired. It seems like, you know, just from what he said, and he had some great quotes about it, you know, talk about it. He was like, I feel bad for the dude who's going to have to wear it after me. That's all I got to say. And I, I think that speaks to it. You know, there's there's only one Dustin Pedroia and the two World Series he's brought here and basically being a coach for 2018. It's rare to find that kind of guy who cares about, you know, being a Red Sox that much. Just before we move on, I want to ask you about some of the fan graphs, postseason odds. But before we get to that, another second baseman in the Red Sox system, Jeter Downs, who came in the Mookie Betts trade. This is his third team now. He went from the Reds to the Dodgers um, in 2021. What should people expect from Jeter Downs, wherever he's playing? But it, it looks like second base. It's kind of a free-for-all here. It, it could be his spot to lose, right? Yeah, I think with Jeter Downs, it's, it's slightly different than, you know, a couple other pieces in the organization. I think he's a little farther away than people realize it. Um, you know, he's had very limited time in A, and we're talking a year back now. Uh, what the Red Sox front office kind of said uh, last year at the alternate training site as well was that he had some maturity he still needed to develop. Not in terms of uh, not being, you know, a hardworking guy or, you know, but just in terms of tools, kind of realizing what it is to be a professional baseball player. And he had a fine ATS. He just didn't shine like a Jaron Duran, for, or for example, you know. But I think Jeter Downs with a really great 2021, say he's just hitting the ball all over. He has a shot to crack the roster, the big league roster at the end of the year. But I would more look to 2022 for him. And I think that's where the Kiki Hernandez deal makes sense so that in a year from now, he's more of your super utility guy who can, you know, go into the outfield more often. You plug Jeter downs in there and he should be, you know, in my opinion, I think he's going to be like a 260, 20 home run guy for a pretty long time. 
But that sounds good. That sounds good. Need some seasoning. But 2022, it sounds like uh, you got yourself a player there. Now, Fangraph's postseason odds. I was looking at this like crazy yesterday, and there were some things that I didn't like. A lot of it I liked. And Fangraph's very credible. I love Fangraph's. But the Orioles here, 0.0% chance of making the postseason. How is that possible? It's just not. I, I'm sorry. But you know what makes opening day beautiful? It's that no matter how bad your ball club is, you know that on opening day, it's a new season, new hope. It doesn't anything matter. Can happen. Anything can happen. That's the beauty of baseball. How can the Orioles have 0.0% chance? I feel for Orioles fans this morning. Yeah, that's a rough go, man. I, I can't imagine taking a look there, especially, you know, years into a rebuild at this point point but uh you know for Orioles fans who are hearing this and crying I do think that organization is doing a lot of things that you know in terms of getting into the international market which they didn't do for years um before the recent front office change so you know I think things are progressing you know they have uh Rutschman on the way up still Trey Mancini coming back this year um from his colon cancer I think he's an absolute stud you know 30 home run guy in this league uh they got some young prospects in Kramer you know still guys working up through the system as well uh it's 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 rough time for Orioles fans. Zero, zero percent's harsh. I give them like 0.1 or, you know, maybe 1% something, but zero, come on. <laughs> you got to have a little hope. Zero is impossible. The Anything Tigers, can happen, right? It, Anything can happen. Yeah. I, the Tigers have a 1.8% chance of making the playoffs. You're going to tell me now the Orioles are 0.0? Yeah, exactly. Come on. At least give them, you know, 0.5 or something. 0.5. The Rangers, 1.9. Like the gap between those teams really isn't that much. And that's the rough part, I guess. I love fan graphs, but they might have a beef for Orioles fans. Oh, I think there's a big beef. And I expect Orioles fans to really stand up for themselves here because that's just not right. Uh, they haven't even played a game yet. It can't be 0.0. But um, enough of that, though. And I mean, maybe they do have a 0.0%. <laughs> um, AL East, let's stay in the AL East. Red Sox. Now, ahead of the Rays here and you can make the argument with the Rays that this might be a transitional year and maybe 2022 they'll just be dynamite again at the top of the division because they did lose Snell they did lose Morden and it might take another year for them to really get back into their shoes in that sense but were you surprised that the Red Sox were penciled in ahead of the Rays? A little bit. I think, you know, when you look at the dramatic losses, it's easy to be like, oh, well, I get it, right? You know, the pitching staff's going to be down. But I think the Rays offseason has been a little bit underrated. And, you know, the recent signings, they don't have, you know, those top of the line pitchers like they did with Snell before and Charlie Morton that you'd be like, all right, you can pencil those two guys in to start a postseason series. You know what I mean? And at least give you a chance to win. I think you look at it now, they just have a lot of depth, whether you want to look at, you know, Rich Hill and Colin McHugh adding into the mix, or you want to dig in and look at, you know, Brendan McKay and some of those arms. They have arguably 10 guys who are true starting pitchers that can slot in there. So I think the Rays are really going to embrace this weird year of baseball where you can't expect guys to throw really even 160 innings this year or a majority of guys at the very least. Most guys topped out at 50 or 60 last year. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of six man rotations across the game. I don't think it's getting talked about much now because they haven't really got into spring training, but there's some clubs who are already forward thinking like that. The Mariners are one of them who just signed James Paxton. It's just, it's going to be very hard to hope 
you can use a five man rotation throughout the year. And I think that's why you see what the Red Sox did too, where, you know, adding a guy like Garrett Whitlock uh, through the rule five draft and the number of arms they have at AAA, whether it's Brian Mata or Connor Siebold, there's, you need that depth this year, or you're going to have a really hard time getting by Matt injuries into that fold as well. You would think if that's the approach, a six man rotation, the Rays would have the edge here. And that's over almost any team in baseball. Right. And that's got to be a scary proposition yeah. for any other team in the AL East. The fact that it's going to be not a season like last year, but it's like the hangover of last year. You got to adjust back to normalcy and we're not there yet. Right. And the Rays might be the best at adjusting. I agree. And I, and I think, listen, the Kevin Cash slander that's happened since the World Series has been absolutely ridiculous. He, he's by far one of the best managers in the game. If anyone thinks that the Tampa Bay front office was telling him to pull Blake Snell, uh, you're not, come on. No team would do that, especially a team like the Rays that wouldn't put someone in their dugout unless they really had a clue. This is an organization that had uh, Joe Madden at the helm for all those years. You think he was taking instructions from the front office? No, they do. They rely heavily on analytics. Yes. But Kevin Cash, you don't get to the World Series by the front office telling you what to do. I'm sorry. It's just not realistic. Um, and, and I think, you know, their in-game managing and stuff is as good as you're going to see across the game. That bullpen still has a lot of talent inside of it. I just think you're going to see a lot of kind of, you know, they'll probably lead the league in call ups and send downs and, you know, sending guys to the IL like they typically do to make things work. But I still, I think their floor is still pretty high. Uh, Randy or Rosarena will get a full year now in the big leagues too on the other side of it. I think they're going to be a solid team. I'd, I'd put them right, you know, I wouldn't put them in the Blue Jays or, you know, the Yankees tier, in my opinion. I still think they have a little bit of an edge, but I think they'll be better than the Red Sox. I think that's a pretty fair place. Not much, but a little bit. Right. And, and you can expect maybe Wander Franco to start in the minors, but by June, July, he might make an instant impact. Mm-hmm. And 100%. 100%. And imagine if, if Randy Rosarena continues what he did. Um, if, if pitchers can't find a way to get him out, and they tried everything, then it's going to be a scary lineup. It, it just is. 100%. You know, and obviously they lost some pieces this offseason, you know, not to ignore that. But to have the prospects they do continue to come up, to have a rotation that, you know, while they don't have a top guy, I, I think having an ace or, you know, that kind of guy is a little bit overrated. And I, I don't think it's far to say if you look at some of the pieces there, one of those younger arms could definitely emerge. You know, uh, they had young arms come up during the postseason run last year. Luis or Luis Patino coming over from the Padres. You know, there's a lot of different talent there. And we've seen race teams without aces succeed in the past. I think at the end of the day, will they go through some rough stretches here and there for sure, but they're not falling off a cliff by any means. I just don't think they'll be World Series contenders. Absolutely not. The Rays are here to stay. They are not, you know, they might not win 95 games, but they're here to stay. And I'm not just talking about this year. I'm talking about for the next three or four or five years. Um, NL Central, quickly, if the Brewers here, the Brewers got good pitching, but you would think that the Cardinals would be in a position here to be the favorites in that division, right? I mean, the Cardinals kind of a put together a lineup and Dylan Carlson's the wild card, but they put together a lineup here that can, in a weak division, be the best. I agree. And I, I think it was a really tough blow for the Brewers to lose out on Justin Turner. If they had landed Justin Turner, I would have been a lot more excited about their chances and where they were at. But the Cardinals getting the boost of Nolan Arenado, which that's felt like a perfect fit. I think we talked about it last time uh, I was on the show. Uh, but adding him into that mix, I think, will he put up the numbers you saw at Coors? 
Probably not, but he's still one of the top tier third basemen in the game, no matter what you say about it. That defense is, it's him and Matt Chapman. That's it. They're the only ones in that club, you know? I think the Cardinals, uh, Flaherty's going to have a bounce back year. You know, he really wasn't himself this past season. Uh, Dylan Carlson showed some life, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, thankfully. I, I think there's a lot about the Cardinals to be excited about. They have a lot of prime bounce back guys. Adam Wainwright still doing his thing at this age, uh, bringing Yachty back there's a, just still a very solid, good leadership core there. And if the right guys can take steps, whether it's, you know, Harrison Vader in the outfield and just be a little bit better. I, I think there's plenty to be excited about. It's just, they're a good team in a division full of very okay teams. Yeah. We had to mention the Cardinals because that's a huge deal, of course, for Nolan Arenado. And that's a team that just kind of gets lost in the shuffle, especially when you have a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, who continues to does, do his thing. At first base, he's underrated. So the Cardinals there, they should be the favorites. I, I believe they should. And okay. I'm yeah. right there with you. Mm-hmm. And the Braves, they should be the favorite as well in the NL East. But oh. here we go. Oh. I think that the Nationals are being overlooked as well a little bit here. I really, I, I do. Yeah. I, yeah, I do agree with you. I, I liked what they've done with their bullpen. Uh, this offseason, you know, adding to that. I still think you look at Max Scherzer, you got Steven Strasburg in that rotation. Corbin, who was, you know, nails. I, I never thought he was going to be this good, if I'm being honest with you. I think still a very, when you have starting pitching like that, you assemble a floor that most teams just aren't going to, you know, really fluctuate between. Um, I, I like the Nationals in that division. I do think they're going to be victims of the Braves and the Mets. I'm very high on the Mets right now. Yeah. I think it's one of the deepest rosters in the entire league. And looking at that rotation, I think the Braves rotation overperformed a little bit last year and losing Soroka, uh, you know, it's tough to see what's going to happen if he's going to make it back from his Achilles injury towards the end of the year. That could definitely, you know, make things interesting. Um, and I'm a big Ian Anderson fan too. But you look at that Mets rotation by midseason to have Jacob deGrom, to have Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, and all the depth they still have towards the bottom, David Peterson, Joey Lachesi. Um, it, it's it's hard to look at that and not be like, wow. And it looks like they're probably going to try to sign one more starting pitcher. So you're a big Mets guy in that division. I need to see it. And I like the Mets lineup in general and the pitching, it, you know, listen, it goes offensive. When you have those guys at the top of your rotation, just like the nationals, right? Um, a lot of teams are going to struggle to kind of keep up with you, especially down the stretch, dog days of August, whatever it is. Especially in a year like this, where those dog days are going to be the hardest day some of these guys have ever played through. They're going to be bulldog days. Exactly. It's going to be something else this year. Um, Let's get to the prospects. Now, you know, we can talk about the top prospects in baseball. That's one thing. But it's another thing to talk about who's going to make an impact right away. And these can be young players. These can be guys that we've seen before play in the league that still qualify as rookies. But let's talk about some guys here all throughout baseball. Any team, who do you like making an impact in 2021? The first one, I'll go with the Red Sox tie here, Jaron Duran. You know, I've been pushing this kid probably well over a year now. People have gotten a little bit sick of it, if I'm being honest with you. But just in the past year, what you see from him if I were to describe him, you look back at 2011 Jacoby Ellsbury, who finished second in MVP voting to Justin Verlander that year. This is like his love child. Like th- This is truly how I see it. Um, you know, coming into 2020, uh, started shining in the first spring training, flashing, you know, the leather 
They're in center. He's originally a second baseman. He was drafted back in 2018 by the Red Sox. Converted to the outfield, spent some time in right field, but moved to center and just continued to show a hit tool, a rare ability just to make contact with the ball. And, you know, he hit well over 400 in the lower minors, kind of working his way up. Uh, the 2019 season, he was absolutely ridiculous. But in 2020, you saw the full package start to really come together. He went from a guy who showed really no power, 70 grade speed, which is still very special, but his body filled out. He took that next step. Uh, he was a star of the alternate training site for the Red Sox. He had eight home runs during that period. And as someone who kept up with, you know, the YouTube videos they uploaded, these weren't small home runs. These were absolute bombs. And it came through a swing adjustment. Uh, he changed his mechanics, raised his hands a little bit. And now you're looking at a guy in Duran who 70 grade speed, he's showing in-game power, already had a hit tool that, you know, people were looking at and said, you know, this guy is going to hit for a high average as he works his way up through the minors. And that speed center field defensively is still his weakest part of his game, but he's continuing to grow out there. And he shined was amazing to watch in the Puerto Rico winter league. Uh, he ended up being, you know, in the final series for the Puerto or Puerto Rico winter league. He was the team MVP, uh, just hit some bombs, made some diving plays uh, left and right. I think by the end of 2021, he's the starting center fielder of the future for the Red Sox. And where do we like him in the lineup when he breaks in? And then after the you know first few months of him cracking the big leagues, I, I think it's complicated. I think it depends on what he continues to show. You know, if the power is you know continuing to shine through, which we haven't seen you know in pro ball stateside yet. Obviously, we saw a little bit of it in Puerto Rico in the Caribbean series. Um, but if it's still playing stateside, I think you're looking at a guy who could be a very interesting you know number two, number three guy uh, in a lineup. At the moment, though, his skill set probably fits a little bit more higher in the lineup just because of his ability, you know, to get on he high batting average. He can steal you some bases and be that kind of impact guy. But if you're looking for someone kind of under the radar who's still not getting enough attention, I think Duran's my pick. So there you go. That's a good pick. And I, and I'm listen. You're you're an advocate for these Red Sox young guns that a lot of people in Boston they they're not they don't want to hear it right now. They don't want to nope. hear it. They want to talk about bets and Ben Attendee. Now. I want to bring up Leody Tavares in Texas, who's 22 years old. And, and the reason I want to bring him up is because he's going to be the leadoff hitter. And he's going to make an impact and have an opportunity right away to just crack in and put himself on the map. He needs to take that step, though. He's gotten his chances. He does need to take that step. At Tavares in Texas as a leadoff hitter and one of their top prospects still considered one. Um, do you like that pick? Do you like how he may have the opportunity to make an impact. I think he's in a situation where a Rangers team, you know, they're still very far away from contending while he's extremely raw. And, you know, we've already, already seen that a little bit. I think he's someone you give him a year. This might not be the year where it really clicks at the major league level, but you're going to continue to see small signs of progress with the tools he has. It's hard to, you know, not see a bright future for him. But when you start talking about that raw of a player, you know, there's fall off sometimes. Some of those guys just don't click at the big league level. But if I'm a Rangers fan, there's not much to watch for right now. You know what I mean? To have a guy like that who at least shows you excitement on almost a daily basis, he can contribute in almost every part of the game. It's hard not to be excited. And I think where the Rangers are at, he'll have plenty of time to figure it out. And that's one of the main attractions of their season. You can talk about, hey, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, can he keep up that defensive? You know, I'm just almost looking for things to talk about here. Yeah, it's um, hard. It's tough. It's tough. And the pitching is brutal. Oh. And I like, they have a couple pitchers that I'm intrigued to watch. Kyle Cody, Dane Dunning, I'm intrigued. I'm going to be tuning in. 
But other than that, this is a rough, rough pitching staff. Yeah, especially in that division. I think, you know, I expect the Mariners to take a little bit of a jump this year, too. I think, unfortunately, they're just kind of bombed the barrel. You got the A's doing their thing. I think the Astros are underrated. And, you know, the definition of mediocrity, the Los Angeles Angels are still there, too. So it's definitely not an easy wall to climb. Um, But, you know, at least there's some interesting things. I really like them dealing Lance Lynn. I was petrified that they were going to find a way to justify holding on to him. Um, But to get Dunning back as a return there, I think that was a great deal for them. Um, Dunning, you know, took a little bit time to work his way up to the big leagues due to some injuries and different stuff like that. But I think he really flashed last year. And the White Sox, one of the things I really disliked about them last year was they jerked around their pitchers so much, especially their young arms. Look at what happened to Garrett Crochet. You know what I mean? It, it just wasn't well managed. And I think that's one of the reasons you saw Rick Renteria hit the road. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. And something to really think about how that's going to change in Chicago. That just can't happen this year. Right. And Crochet, he was going to be a guy that I potentially mentioned for a guy who can make an impact in 2021. I want to bring up Alejandro Kirk as well, because everyone knows everyone who's watched the games. They know he's got tools offensively. Now we have to see him behind the plate. But right now, this is a guy by midseason. OK, it's not like he's competing with, uh, you know, a, a big top end catcher here. Um, he's got an opportunity to really be an everyday player at some point this season. Yeah, he was one of the more intriguing things I saw towards the end of last season. Just the body, you, you know what I mean? And to see him come up in with, you know, the limited experience he had in the minors and just spraying the ball left and right. Um, I, I like him. I, I think it's interesting. I do have real concerns about the body uh, long-term at catcher. And, you know, I don't like to sh- put anyone in a hole or anything just because of how they look. We've seen plenty of guys who, you know, have weird body shapes and stuff like that. But Playing catcher, you know, especially, you know, in a 162 game schedule like this, it it really will take a toll on your body over time. And I don't know how that's going to hold up. I think in the short term, it's fair to be excited. But anytime you see a guy who had as much success as he did the first time he got up to, you know, play in big league baseball, there's always some kind of come back to earth moment. Pitchers will have now, you know, an off season to kind of figure out why was this guy hitting everything that came towards him at the end of last year. I think the floor is still, you know, interesting and that bat, whether it's long-term at catcher or not, that's the real deal. Will there be some regression, I bet? Sure. But he, that hit tool is nothing to sleep on. Nothing to sleep on. And if he turns into a DH, he turns into a DH. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's how good the tools are at the plate. And with the Blue Jays building an extremely flexible team, even if he's not an everyday catcher, maybe some first base mixed in, you know, kind of moving back and forth. The Blue Jays, you know, they're as versatile as any big league roster right now. So I think that's why they're willing to just see where it takes them with them. And there you go. Hey, Carlos Santana was a catcher. Exactly. One point, played a lot of catcher in Cleveland uh, before now, of course. He's just not thought of as a catcher, really. So Alejandro Kirk. And then let's actually, let's go to Cleveland. There, Tristan McKenzie, their pitching staff is going to be maybe the reason they're in the mix, right? It's going to be the only reason they're really in the mix. And he's got to be a big part of that. Tristan McKenzie, six starts last year. How do you like him for 21? Uh, he was his first couple starts were as electric as any pitcher I've seen come up in a, you know, in a little bit really. And just the bot, he looks, you know, smaller dude, but he's just pumping and pumping, you know, high nineties, like no fear. But the one thing that you did see quickly happen was the stuff fell off. His velocity kind of drooped quickly. And whether that was, you know, a product of the COVID season and guys not having a lot of time to ramp up, 
I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it was just body. You know, it's hard to go out there when, you know, you don't have the biggest kind of, you know, overall uh, physique and to throw that kind of velocity, go deep in games on a regular basis. I do think now having an off season to kind of prepare and build up for that, uh, it shouldn't be as big of a concern, but I think if you're looking at the Indians and hoping for bright spots, which there aren't too many this year, uh, he'll have the chance to work, you know, alongside Shane Bieber. We're talking as filthy as any recent season in, you know, MLB history, what he did before the postseason, unfortunately. Um, but there's plenty of room for him to grow there. That entire rotation still has, you know, plenty to get excited about. It may take a little bit for, you know, you might see a little bit in the, towards the middle of the season, those same struggles come back. But I, I think he's an exciting piece. I think he's someone you can look at and expect to hold the rotation spot for, you know, at least the foreseeable future. Stereo Cleveland, a lot of good pitching there. And again, um, they're a team that if the rotation holds up, we have to be fair here because we talked about the Mets rotation, the Nationals rotation. It goes both ways. If Cleveland's rotation holds up and is as good as they can be, they're going to be in the mix, right? It's all going to be about the pitching. Yeah, you know, you see, you know, they've had some awful <laughs> offensive production over the years, and they found a way to at least keep it interesting. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit different with Francisco Lindor out of the mix, but Jose Ramirez is still there. You know, th- there is some things to be excited about. Ahmed Rosario, who I still think has, you know, very underrated still from what he put up, not in 2020, but, but in the second half of uh 2019 now uh, kind of looking back there, there are things to look at and not feel hopeless about I just think with the Indians I expect the Royals to be a pretty solid team overall I think the Tigers are going to take a bit of a step forward this year too um, and obviously the White Sox and the Twins they're going to continue to do their thing they might just end up unfortunately getting bullied a little bit this year yeah and you hit the nail on the head the White Sox and the Twins it's going to be back and forth, back and forth. It could be like Dodgers Padres, but to a lesser extent, that's what it, it might be in the AL Central. Tyler Milliken joins me again here on Lock It Up Sports Talk. My name is Logan Lockhart here on the Fine Settle Network. We do this every Wednesday. And Tyler, final thoughts here as officially pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training. And I know you're excited, but final thoughts, everything we've talked about. We've talked Red Sox. We talked about the Orioles having a 0.0% chance of making the postseason. And then we talked about some prospects. What are your final thoughts? Uh, I think my final thoughts today, I actually, I got a couple. Um, First, I want to hit on just back from earlier when we were talking about Hernandez and the trade that went down behind Bloom this morning. Nick Sogard, uh, the infielder that came in along with that deal. uh, I think people need to pay attention. Uh, Obviously a college bat coming in. He's a little bit older walked as almost as he walked almost as much as he struck out in his first taste of pro ball 39 walks to 43 strikeouts I think he's much more there's more to that of just being a throw-in I think this is the kind of guy you could see move through the minors quickly um, and I think in terms of where the Red Sox are at don't get you know your hopes too high it's not going to be a 90 win season but this team will be better than what a lot of people are saying I expect them to be in the 84 to 87 range in terms of wins and I think they'll be in contention at least until you know, maybe the last week of September or the second to last week. Over 500. Yeah, exactly. Over 500. And step you in the right direction. Step in the right direction. And I really like what you said about the, the comparison to the Jays and signing Ryu. Next offseason, we'll see who's available, whether it's an arm, whether it's a bat here in the lineup that you need. They can make a splash like that, right? And we're talking next offseason. Some people think it's going to be the best free agent class ever. It obviously leans a little heavier in terms of bats and shortstops, but I've heard some people, you know, Red Sox stats who 
he tweets as much as anyone for people who aren't Red Sox fans. He's known to have sources time and time again. The media here is a pretty big fan of him, but he chooses to remain anonymous. It's pretty cool. Um, but he's mentioned Trevor Story multiple times. Who knows? Xander Bogarts, you know, subpar defensive metrics over the years. Could we be talking Bogarts at third, Devers the first, and they sign an impact shortstop? Who knows? There's a lot to get excited about. Hey, that, that sounds like flexibility to me. You bring in Kike Hernandez, and now you're talking about the utility. That That's kind of the team that the Red Sox could be in a couple of years, if that's the case. Tyler, thank you so much. Always a blast when you join me here on Lock It Up on the Fine Subtle Network. Let people know where they can find you, follow you, watch you, read you. Uh, if you want to see me give my baseball takes and give these scouting reports on all these different pieces, you can follow me at Tyler Milliken, M-I-L-L-I-K-E-N underscore. Um, I'm always tweeting different baseball related content, not just Red Sox stuff. And if you want to check out some of my writing, thoughtsfromthemill.com. Uh, I post some blogs and different stuff there. So I always got it coming. Fantastic, Tyler. Awesome. As always, hope we can do this again very soon. That is all today here on this Wednesday, February 17th. Lock it up, Sports Talk. My name is Logan Lockhart here on the Fines Huddle Network. And until next Wednesday, here we are with Tyler Milliken signing off. This has been an FHN production. Listen to our new shows every week on Thursday on any podcast platform. Also, check out our live shows on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Twitch.